not? Amen. Good musical program tonight. Oh, hey, look here. <laughs> oh, yes, I told him I've got pulpit water up here. Uh, I told him the other night if he wasn't here that I, what I liked on the pulpit was Pepsi, not pulpit water. Uh, I'm always kind of a little bit worried about pulpit water. I was preaching in Coba, Conference on Evangelizing Black America, and there was a fly in the pulpit water. Kind of remember, reminded me of about the guy went into the restaurant, and they had a big bowl of soup there. You could just walk up and take out what you wanted, you know. That's kind of a good restaurant, right? Bean soup. And uh, don't look at me like that. How many of you like bean soup? Come on. All right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, all right. And uh, there was a fly in the bean soup. The guy said, waitress, come here. And she said, what you want? She, he said, there's a fly in the bean soup. She said, it's only a fly. He said, yes, but dipping out here, I might, I might dip and get him in my soup. She said, you won't get him in your soup. He's been in there three weeks and nobody's got him yet. <laughs> Pepsi. Oh, that'll make me preach better. Pepsi Cola hits the spot, right? I don't want to let that up here while I'm preaching here. Come here, son, get this. Thank you, Pastor. All right. But, uh, well, I want to preach to you tonight out of uh, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Find that, if you would, please, in your Bible. We're going to look at uh, chapter 16 and chapter 17 of 1 Samuel tonight. I, uh, I normally, when I preach a sermon, I usually have gone over it a couple times, two or three times. But I got so excited about this today's study that I thought, well, I'll just try it on, out on everybody tonight. Amen? And I hope that you will enjoy it. I won't take too awful long. I don't think. Again, I can't see what time it is. That's a good clock. Can't see what time it is. But uh, we'll have some real study here out of the Word of God. And I won't take too awful long. I heard about this preacher that normally got up and preached 30 minutes and he quit right on 30 minutes. One day he got up and, man, he preached for an hour and a half. And some of them said, Pastor, you preached for an hour and a half? That's the longest I ever heard you preach. He said, well, there's a reason for that. I said, well, what is the reason, Pastor? He said, well, the reason is I normally get up to preach and I put a mint in my mouth and when it's dissolved, uh, it's, uh, it's time to quit. It's 30 minutes. And he said, I got up this morning and I thought I'd put a mint in my pocket and I reached down and he said, I got a hold of a button. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's funny. You ought to laugh at that. Amen. Always laugh at the preacher's jokes. Whether they're funny or not. Makes him feel good, right? How many of you think women talk more than men? Let's see your hands. How many think men? Come on now. Let's vote. Don't look like Democrats. Vote. Okay? How many of you think women speak more than men? Let's see your hands. All right? I'll use my left hand on this one. How many think that men talk more than women? Let's see your hand. Oh, my wife got both of her hands up. 
Well, I've got to tell you this joke. It goes right with it. This preacher got up and he preached and preached and preached and preached. And they said, Pastor, you've been preaching now for two hours. What's happened? Well, he said, I didn't realize what happened, but he said this morning when I got up and got ready to come to church, he said, I got my wife's false teeth instead of mine. <laughs> now, is that funny or not? <laughs> no, I don't know, but what men may talk more than women do. I don't know, but uh, I, it may be a draw. Could be a draw, I don't know, but huh? You don't think so? All right. Well, you you have a right to your opinion, <clears throat> even though it's wrong. No, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to preach a while tonight, so kind of get ready. I I love to preach. That's why I preach so long. I just I enjoy myself up here. And we're going to look at First uh, Samuel, chapter sixteen. And let me give you a little bit of background, if I may. You remember that Saul became king of Israel. They wanted a king, and God said, Okay, I'll give you a king, but you're not going to like him. Because he's going to take your boys off to war. He's going to charge you taxes. And you're not going to like that at all. So he gave him a king. His name was Saul. And he was a great, big, tall guy. Uh... Something like Andrew. Only he was handsome. And he was big old burly guy, probably probably a real strong soldier. He was a farm boy. And they made him king, and he wasn't a good king. He sinned against God, and he did some things that God didn't like, and God took him off the throne. And Samuel was the prophet of God that God was using to tell the king and the people what to do and what was right. So now the Lord, in verse 1 of chapter 16, And the Lord said unto Samuel, the prophet now, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go I, uh, go, I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So God came to the prophet and said, now I've rejected Saul as king. And I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and I want you to go there because he's got a son that I want you to anoint as king of Israel. Well, he went in and they were going to have a feast and they're getting ready for all of this. And in verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, because, in verse 8, the sons passed before the prophet. And the Bible says, I'm sorry, in verse 6, And it came to pass when they were come, uh, that he looked on Eliab, and said, surely the Lord, uh, Lord's anointed is before him. So what happened was that, and I'll kind of have to tell you the story. Well, I can't read it all. But, uh, and I'm having a little trouble reading tonight. I'm sorry. Sometimes I do have some trouble reading. I was born with only one eye, and sometimes I can't see out of the other one. But uh, anyhow, we'll, we'll make it through. 
And so what happened was God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to get a king out of his sons. And, and the Bible says in verse number 10, if you look at it, And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. The prophet of God got up there and seven of, of Jesse's sons passed before him. And God said, None of these. And in verse 7, which I read to quickly, uh, the prophet said to Jesse, Your oldest son, Eliab, no doubt would be the one God would choose. In the Bible, it talks about the firstborn. It talks a lot about the firstborn. The firstborn of the family. Even it says that uh, the firstborn of the family belongs to God. And it says uh, even of Jesus, she begot her, she gave birth to her only only her, her uh, firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. You remember that about Jesus. And uh, what happens here is that the prophet thinks Eliab is going to be the king because he's the firstborn. But God said none of these. And so in verse 11, and Samuel said unto Jesse, are here any, uh, are, are here all thy children? And he said, let me get this up here where I can see it. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there, uh, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him. For we will not sit down till he come hither. So the prophet said, Jesse, is this all your sons? He said, no, I've got one more. He's the baby of the family. How many babies of the family do we have here tonight? You're the last one of your family. Well, I am too. I'm the last of Mama's ten children. They always save the best one to last. If you don't believe it? Look around these people. They're the best looking people here. Well, anyhow... So he says to Jesse, don't you have another son? He said, yes, I do. He's my baby boy. And now he's out taking care of the flock. I've always wondered how come these, all these boys are sitting around the fire, toasting their shins, getting ready for a feast. And David was out there taking care of the flock all by himself. I like a hard-working boy, don't you? I like a hard-working kid. David was always taking care of the sheep. Sheep. He was a shepherd boy. He was always out there, and he was out taking care of the sheep here. And the prophet said, go get him and bring him in here. All right, now, verse 12. In the middle of the verse, it says, The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. When David came in, God said to him, Anoint this young man right here, because that's going to be my king. And they anointed him. Now what I want you to notice, first of all, is Eliab, the eldest son. And uh, no doubt, he thought that he was going to be the king. After all, he's the oldest son. Usually the oldest of the family is kind of bossy. The oldest of our family uh, was a boy, and he, uh, he, he, he kind of 
lorded over some of our family, if you know what I mean. And uh, some of us other boys, and there were six of us all together, some of us other boys, we didn't like him telling us what to do. But sometimes the oldest kind of has an attitude. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the oldest of the family got a little bit of an attitude. Now, they're the first one, and they're uh, developing quicker than the rest of them. And, uh, and sometimes they get the idea, hey, I'm the boss around here. I think that was Eliab's attitude. And we'll see that in a minute. But they anointed David king over all of Israel. And the Bible says in verse 13, the last part of that verse, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from the day for, from that day forward, so Samuel rose up and went to Ramoth. Samuel's job was done. He went to the house of Jesse. He anointed David king. And when it was all over, and they had a little feast, and when it was all over, they must have been Baptists to have a feast. Amen. But we had a feast, didn't we? I liked everything but that Montoro coffee. Buddy, that's strong stuff, isn't it, huh? But uh, I, I poured, my wife poured half of it water and I was able to down it. But, but that Montoro coffee around here is strong, I'll tell you that right now. But it was a fun feast, wasn't it, huh? Don't you like to get together and enjoy food together? That, that's a fun thing, isn't it not? Well, they were having kind of a good thing here, and David was anointed king over all of Israel. Okay, now we're going to shift from Eliab and David and Samuel and Jesse, and we're going to go to the king in verse 17 of chapter 16, and we're going to find Saul, the king of Israel. Am I mixing you all up? Stay with me now. I've got a good conclusion to all this. And Saul said unto his servant, Provide me now a man that I can pay well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse. Now he's talking about David. The the Bethlehemite that is cunning, one thing, cunning, in playing an instrument, and is mighty valiant, he is a mighty valiant man, number two, and a man of war, number three, and prudent, number four, in the matters, and is calmly, number five or six, person, and the Lord is, uh, is with him. The, war, the Lord is with him. He said, I know a man, he's the son of Jesse, that happened to be David, and he gives a description of all these characteristics of David. Boy, I'll tell you what, no wonder God liked David and everybody else liked David is because if you go down through those six things right there, you'll find a very great man indeed. And he was just a young man. Wherefore, verse 19, Wherefore Saul sent uh, messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David, thy son, which is with the sheep. They always knew that David was working out of the sheep. In verse 21, And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. All right? Now, I'm going to tie this together with something in the next chapter. All right? 
Uh, we've seen we've seen Jesse. We've seen uh, Samuel the prophet. We've seen the sons of Jesse and David in particular. We've uh, we've seen the prophet of God. Now we see the king, and it all kind of ties together. And he gets David and pays him a good salary. And David plays music to calm the king down. And he takes care of the king's armor. That was a special treat to be able to take care of the king's armor. After all, that was a special armor and a special responsibility. All right, now, while this uh, has happened, now we come to chapter 17, and we find that there's a war going on. Now, the Bible kind of does this kind of a storytelling because it kind of puts things out there for us to pull together and then to get a real uh, a real application for our Christian experience. Now, the Philistines, chapter 17, gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together in Shoko, which, is, which belongs to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azah and Ephesdamin. And Saul... And the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. Now you get this picture and I'm sure you heard the story before. But here is two armies, one on this hill over here, I'll use this, that's your right hand, I'll tell you that's Israel. And over here was the Philistines on another hill, like a mountain. And that's the Philistines, I'll use your left hand, because I don't like the Philistines. And they're over here on this, on this hill, and there's a battle going to happen, and between them is a valley. Well, they did that all this time. And in verse 4, there came out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. Now you've heard of Goliath the giant, right? It tells us that he was about nine and a half foot tall. Boy, he'd have done something in the basketball game, wouldn't he, huh? But he's a big, tall guy, a great big giant of a man. And it gives us... A rundown here, I won't read it all, but it tells about his helmet in verse 5 and his coat of, uh, of mail. It tells about in verse 6 uh, the, uh, the greaves of bass, uh, uh, brass upon his legs and the target of bass, brass between his shoulders. It talks about his spear in verse 7 and uh, big as a, as, a, as a weaver's beam. And it uh, talks about his shield. And every day... In verse 8, he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye are the servants of Saul? Well, he had that wrong, didn't he? They weren't the servants of Saul, they were servants of God. Saul was their king. Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and to kill me, then will ye be? Uh, then will we be your servants? And if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. 
Now I'm going to tell you that this big giant is like the devil in this story. And you know what? This big giant's just a great big bully. I don't like bullies, do you? I don't like people that are taking advantage of other people that can't defend themselves. Big old bully like that. And he says to Israel, Hey, send your man down here and we'll have a fight. And whoever wins the fight will win the war. (coughs) He was setting the rules. You know, the devil always wants to set the rules. He always does. Big bully, big loudmouth bully, overgrown, overstuffed giant. Did you ever have to face a bully? You know what you do with the bully? You bully him. Somebody bullying you, you bully him back. I've got some stories to tell you about that. I grew up fighting all my life. I was a fighter. Always in a fight about something. And we had a bunch of bullies that lived around us. And they were all bigger than me. But they didn't bully me. One of the reasons why is because when I fought, I fought dirty. I'd get me a big old rock. Me and the rock would play Yankee Doodle Dandy on that bully's head. No more bully. When I was a little boy, my dad, my brother made me a slingshot. When you pull back and sling a rock, you know, like that. And we called them slingshots. And it was a special made slingshot. My oldest brother got the prongs for the slingshot out in Arizona. And it was a, some kind of a real hard tree. And he brought it up there. And my other brother made me a slingshot out of it. We used a, a tire inner tube for the leather that we'd pull, I mean, the rubber we'd pull back and we'd sling that thing, you know, and he made it. And I carried that special slingshot around my neck. And uh, I want everybody to see that. My brother bought that back from Arizona. You've never been to Arizona. My brother has, you know. One day, a bully that lived up on the hill from our house. Jack Smart, he was anything but smart, wasn't smart at all, came riding that bicycle down there, and there I stood with my bib overhauls on, and that's all I had on, and that slingshot around my neck, he rode his bicycle up there, and he grabbed that slingshot, and he pulled it off my head, almost took my ears off, give me that slingshot, and he rode away. Well, there I stood crying. I was so upset, mad, and at that guy, Jack Smart. Here came my brother, Kenny. He said, what's wrong with you, Jinx? They all call me Jinx. What's wrong with you, Jinx? I said, Jack Smart just stole my slingshot. That's what. He said, where'd he go? Where'd he go? I said, he went down by Harmon Playground. Boy, Kenny took off, running. He could run like a deer. He could fight like a tiger and run like a deer. He took off. Pretty soon, here came Jack Smart on his bicycle back up there. I could tell that he's going to get a black eye right here. 
looked like one of his teeth were loose. And there dried blood on his lip for he had a bloody nose. He said, here, Jinx, here's your slingshot. And I want to ask you to forgive me for taking it. I said, you met my brother Kitty, didn't you? I said, let me tell you something, Jack Smart. I got tough then, you know. I'll tell you right now, Jack Smart, you better never bother me again because if you do, my brother's going to kill you. And he rode that bicycle off. You know what? He never did come back down to our house. That was the end of him. Big old smiling bully. My brother bullied the bully. Here is a big old overgrown bully saying these things to Israel. And the Bible says he didn't only say them, but he cussed a lot while he was saying them. And he cussed the gods of Israel. Well, you know, usually a big old smiley bully's got bad manners too, amen? And so, anyhow, that was going on. And the Bible says in verse 11 that it went on and they were afraid and it kept on. And everybody, and when, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And now we're going to shift our thoughts back to Jesse's sons. Because you see, in verse 13... There were three of Jesse's older sons that were in the army under the command of the king of Israel, which was Saul. And they were all afraid. Well, I'm telling you, when you get in a fight, you can't get afraid because you do your run. And they were all afraid. And the Bible tells us that that in verse 13, and the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to battle. Now what Jesse does, Jesse gets David, who was taking care of the sheep at home, and he tells David, I want you to go down, and I want you to take, in verse 17, and Jesse said to David, his son, take now for thy brethren an effort of parched corn, and these ten cheeses, and run to the camp of thy brethren. So he, Jesse takes his son David out of the flock, and he says, I've got some food I want you to take to the brothers that are in the army in the war. And I want you to take these ten cheeses to their leader. You like cheese? Boy, I love cheese. I grew up in the Church of the Brethren, and we used to sing the old song, Bringing in the Sheaves. When I was a little boy, I'd always sing, Bringing in the Cheese, because I always loved cheese. Now, I never let my mama hear me say that, because if I would have said, Bringing in the Cheese, and mama would have heard me say that in church, she'd have worked me over when I got home, I'll tell you that for sure. But to take these ten cheeses down to their leader and take some parched corn to your brothers. Corn and cheese. Somebody made some cornbread tonight. Wasn't that good cornbread? I felt like taking a couple pieces of that in my pocket home, but I didn't. My wife would get on me for it if I did. But anyhow, you take it to them, and he took it down there. And the 
Jesse told David, the reason why I want you to do it in verse number 18, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare. Now listen. And take their pledge. They didn't have any pledge. They were scared when that Goliath would come out there. Afraid of that bully. Now I'm going to tell you something tonight. The devil will bully you if he gets a chance because he's a bully. He's a dirty bully, the devil is. And he'll make you afraid. He'll attack you if he can. And he'll over-exaggerate everything to the place where you'll be just in yourself afraid. All right. Now, these three brothers didn't know it, but they had a champion among them. And it was David. So David comes in there, and one of the days while David is there, out comes this Goliath, and the Bible says he says the same words. In verse number 23, he says the same words. Let me tell you something else. The devil never changes his tactics, and the dirty devil uses the same words against all of us. If you're under attack of the Satan of Satan in any way, let me tell you something. You're not by yourself. We're all under the attack of Satan. And he does the same thing time and time again, and he uses the same words. Well, David heard him for the first time. And David said, what is going on here? Why don't somebody go up there and kill that giant for doing this and saying these words? Well, now back to Eliab in verse 28. David's eldest brother, Eliab, his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab, Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, David said, what's going on? Why don't somebody bully that bully? And Eliab, his brother, made him mad. Well, I kind of think still now. I just, my own opinion is, Eliab was the oldest son. And I think he was jealous of David because he knew David was God's anointed one because he was right there in the room when the prophet put the oil on David's head and anointed him king of Israel. So Eliab says to David... And he said in verse number 28, Why comest thou down hither? Why did you come here in the first place? David, why did you come here in the first place? And with whom hast thou left these few sheep in the wilderness? Why have you left your little flock of sheep and come down here to the battle? We're the soldiers. You're the younger brother that takes care of the sheep. David was a shepherd, and he was a good one. I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, and thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. I know why you came, Eliab said to David. You just come down here to look around and see what you could see. Well. He really didn't know what his brother, did he? 
Not at all. You know, if I was going to preach on Eliab, there are several things I would say about him. I would say, first of all, that he was afraid. Fear will cause you to do a lot of things. If you're, if you let the devil, if the, you let the devil bully you, and you get afraid of the devil, you'll probably do and say some things that you normally would not say. Another thing about Eliab, he didn't have a pledge. David came to hear him pledge his allegiance to Saul and the army and the fight to death for his nation and his king. But he didn't have a pledge. He was afraid. David never heard any pledges out of those three boys. Now, I don't know about you, but I like pledges. I like to pledge allegiance to our flag. You know, uh, I've risked my life in order to rescue the flag from a bunch of communists that were going to burn it. I went down there where they were going to burn that flag, and there must have been, I don't know how many thousands of people there. And I walked up to that barrel where they were going to burn that flag. And, of course, I'm the only American there. I'm the only one, only white man there. And I walked up and I told him, I said, let me tell you something. You try to burn that flag, I'm going to knock your head right over there in that gutter. I'm going to hit you as hard as I can hit you. I don't care if it costs me my life. I'm going to defend my flag and you're not going to burn it. I took an awful cussing, but they didn't burn the flag. I don't know about you, but I don't want to burn my flag. No, sir. Now, this is my personal opinion, Okay. If you were preaching up here tonight, you could give your personal opinion. But you're not preaching, I am. I don't like people. I like pledges. I like pledge allegiance to the Bible. We say that. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide His words in my heart that I might not sin against God. That's my pledge to the Bible. I like pledges. I like pledges to the Christian flag. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and for the Savior for whom kingdom it stands. One Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty to all who believe. Did I say it right? I pledge to the flag. I pledge to the flag. I pledge to the Bible. I like a pledge. Eliab, he was condemning David, but I'll tell you something. He didn't have a pledge. But David did. Well, the story is, the giant came out, and David said, I'll go face him if nobody else will. And they, you know what they did? And this is another sermon. I, I'm really getting way too far on this, but you know what they did? They said, okay, David, you can do it, but let's get the king's armor, and let's armor you up with the king's armor. And they brought the king's armor. David knew that armor. He'd been the terror of the armor of the king and they brought it out there and he said I've never worn this in battle I've never tried this thing I don't know that much about it I'm not going to go with this army armor and so uh, he just went as a shepherd boy out there 
David said, I faced a lion and I faced a bear with nothing but my sling and a rock, and I'm not afraid to face this skunk. Amen? So he gets him five stones and his little sling, and he goes out there and he faces this giant. Boy, in verse 41, 42, and 43, it tells that whole story. And when David came to the Philistine in verse 45, David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day, look, look, what he, look, look at his pledge. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And listen to this pledge. That all, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Okay, it's time for application. That's the story. You like that story? I got so excited reading that story today, I just couldn't contain myself. I was doing, when I was reading the Bible, I was doing what I did here. I was raising my hand to God. Yes, Lord, that's such a good story. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Now the application is this. David had a pledge. We ought to have a pledge. All of us ought to have a pledge to the great God of the universe. And our pledge in this mission conference ought to be, I'm willing to sacrifice and give whatever it takes that the gospel may go all over the world and that everybody would know that there is a God in Israel. There's a God in our hearts. There's a God in our church. There's a God in our, in our motive here. We really have a motive, do we not? We really have a pledge, do we not? Our pledge is I'm going to give, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to lay my life on the line for God and His Bible and the, and the business of preaching the gospel around the world, no matter what it costs me. I took care of that when I was a teenage boy. I've not done everything right in my life, but this one time I really did something really right. I went off to Bible college, a farm boy. When I got to Akron, I finally got to the Akron Baptist Temple, and that's a story in itself. A farm boy in a big town with mud on his heels trying to find a big old church. I mean, I finally got there, and I walked up to the counter in the church, which was also the counter of the Bible college. I walked in the office and walked up there. I worked all summer. I worked all summer to help my brother with a problem he had. Plus, I saved all the money I could save to get to Bible college. And it took almost all of it for me to get there. I bought me a brand new blue suit, light blue suit, and a red tie, a pair of floor shine brown shoes, 
and a pair of red socks. Boy, I was, I looked like Tennessee Ernie going to visit his cousin Lucy. Did you ever see that? And I walked in there and I walked up to the counter and the girl came up and said, could I help you? I said, yeah, I've come to go to Bible college. She said, uh, do you know you're a month late? I said, no, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about that. All I heard was on the radio. There's a Bible college, and I got here as quick as I could get here. And uh, she said, well, another girl, another girl came out, and she said, did you uh, uh, send in your matriculation fee? I said, it said on the radio it was free. And she kind of laughed and went around the screen. And Dallas Billington's private secretary, Mrs. Wright, came out. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I bet you're a country boy. I don't know how she told that. My suit was a, I mean, my suitcase with a belt wrapped around it to hold it together. And there I stood. And she said, has God called you to preach? I said, Yes. She said, you're going, to go, you're, you're going to go to Bible college because I'm going to see that you get there. And she said, just get your suitcase because they've already started the class this morning. They're in the second session already. And I'll take you over and get you a seat. We started out the door. And I said, ma'am, ma'am. She stopped and she said, yes. I said, I'm going to go to Bible college, but I don't have a Bible. I said, I've never owned a Bible. She said, you're going to use my Bible. She went back to the office, got her Bible, and brought it out there and gave it to me to use. And that was my first day in Bible college. I didn't have enough money. To... My daddy raised us kids being able to survive in the woods. And when I came in the house or in the town, I was looking for a barn. I could sleep in a barn. I could live in a barn. And our old house we had on the farm, it wasn't much better than a barn anyhow. So I could live in that barn. I'd get a farmer and ask him if I could work for him. I'd work for him and I'd live in his barn. I'd get me something to eat. I, I, I know enough about the woods and the wilds to be able to eat off of it. I, I, I wasn't afraid of it. I, I looked at bridges. I, I, could, I could live under that bridge if I have to. <clears throat> but God worked it out. Gave me a beautiful place to stay that very day and food to eat. And it goes on and on and on. And, and I worked hard and saved my money and finally was able to buy myself a Bible. And when I went to that room that God provided for me, beautiful, nice bedroom, I had the nicest place to stay of anybody in the Bible college. Isn't that something? And God just gave it to me. I mean, when I walked door of the, of the office of the, of the dean, the telephone rang right there. And he said, oh yes, I got a boy just for you. The woman called up while I walked in the door uh, about taking a boy into her house, a student, a Bible college student. It just went on and on and on. It, things just fell in place for me. And my first day, and I want to tell you this, my first day in that room, I went up and got down on my knees and laid my hands out on the bed. And I said, Lord, I'll give you what I've got. I'm not much. I don't know much. I don't have any money. I don't know anybody here in this big old town. But whatever I've got, I'll give you. And Lord, 
I'll never take it back. That's been over 65 years ago, and I've never taken it back. I don't want it back. If I took my life back, I'd mess it all up. Do you ever make a pledge to God? You ever pledge your life to God? If you haven't done that, do it tonight. And stay with your pledge. Some of you have made a pledge to God and somehow you've gone back away from it a little bit. Start all over. The Lord needs you. He needs me. Why? Because there's a whole world out there that needs a miracle in mine and your life, even if we have to face the giants in order to tell the whole world there's a God of grace and love that wants to include you in the beloved family of the Lord Himself. If you made a pledge and you're going back, re-pledge it tonight. Start all over again with God tonight. If you haven't started with this work of the mission that we've been talking about, giving to missions, well, I've got to take just a minute here and tell you, I heard all this singing up here and I've seen all these things done and this nice crowd here tonight. I remember when John, Marshall, and I, and Pete went over that corner over that outside and put our hands on this building and claimed it for God. There's no more, I'm telling you, there was no more sense about that than nothing. It wasn't done by calculating the possibilities. It was done simply by faith. Saying we believe that God in heaven wants a church on this spot that preaches the gospel and starts other churches around over the city and supports missions around the world. We believe that with all our hearts. I think John and Pete believed it more than I did. I may have been the most doubting one of the bunch. But God's done something here. Three men making a pledge. God wants you to make a pledge. God wants out of our life a pledge to Him for service. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I've been working up here preaching tonight because I wanted you to get this. It's a great story and the Bible is full of stories and the reason why I tell stories and preach on stories is because Jesus did. He called them parables. God wants to do something in your life tonight. He wants to do something in all of our lives. Let Him have His will and way in your life tonight. Let Him speak to you. Open up your heart and surrender to Him tonight. How many would here tonight would say, Brother Clayton... I made a pledge of my life some time ago. And I'm glad that God permitted me to make that pledge. And I've already pledged my life to Him. Would you slip up your hand as a testimony tonight? How many do it? Hold it up now. Be proud of that. 
All right, thank you. How many here tonight would say, Preacher, I made a pledge to the Lord, but somehow along the way, I've gone back on that. But I need to start all over again with God tonight. And I want you to pray for me tonight. Would you slip up your hands? Oh, that's a lot of people. God sees every one of your hands in my hand here tonight. We're going to talk to him about this in a minute. I believe Jesus is here tonight. And I believe he's pleased with his sermon tonight. Because it's true. I wonder how many here tonight would say, Preacher, I've never made a pledge of my life to God. I've never done that, Pastor. But I want to do it. Someday I want to make that pledge to God of my life, my energy, my thoughts, my talents. I want to make a pledge to God. Pray for me about that, Preacher. Would you slip up your hand? How many in the audience? Hold it up. Yes, God bless us. Several hands. God bless you. Amen. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed here tonight, let me ask you this. How many of you here have never trusted Christ as your Savior? If you die tonight, you don't know where you go to heaven or hell. You'd say, pray for me, preacher. I want to know for sure I'm saved. Would you slip up your hand? Someone like that. All right, let's stand together. I'm going to ask Julie to play quiet for us. 566, there is no secret what God can do. It's a beautiful little chorus, and we're going to sing it pretty soon, and we all know it without the book. What I want you to do while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you to slip out of your seat and come up here to the front and talk to God tonight. I want you to come right now. 